Where are you? You're you, you have a a, a what a camp in North Dakota or where? No, up at Wabe. Are you catching walleyes and killing ducks? Um, Tony and the boys just pulled back up here. They had no success. Tony about had a heart attack. He said, "Walking." He goes, "That's the last time. I, that's the last time I walked to it through a cattail slough to go duck hunting again." <laughs> walked for half a mile one way and a half mile back to back and said he about had a heart attack. And I go, "That's why I didn't go." But uh, that is a. Uh... That's a lack of, uh, uh, that's being overzealous, I think. That, that, that is, numb. it's, it's, it, yeah, there's two, uh, two boys and their buddy that all want to go that are all, you know, one's in just a senior and the other one's just out of high school, all in good shape, all diehard duck hunters. And he hasn't done that for years. And I think he just forgot, <laughs> like he said out here, I told myself 15 years ago, I was never going to do this. And, uh, now he reminded himself. He's gonna have to get a hip transplant now. You know how bad you know how bad your hips start to hurt when you're pulling up out of that mud. Well, he said he bought, he said if the boy he goes he, he goes he, he swear he goes I, I was one step away from having a heart attack. I felt like it. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, you're. I go. I thought you were smarter than that. But yeah, that's, that sounds like to me not a lack of being in shape. That sounds like a lack of intelligence. Yes, yeah. like that sounds like a lack of getting a better boat. Yeah, well, they they had no access to they they have all the boats out here. We have three three duck boats are here right now, but the place where they saw the birds was on a public shoot, and the only place you can get access until you had to walk in. I think it was about a mile total around the corner to the where these ducks are at, but there was zero access on the water to get to it. So they went out and hunted, carried the marsh stand, the dog marsh stand, the new. That's the first time I saw brand new dog dog marsh stand. It's freaking nice. Um, that and all the other gear out there, you know. And you carry more gear than you need. I don't uh, agree or listen to anything hardly that Rick Frisch says that has to do with waterfowl hunting. Yeah. Other than one thing, and, and, and Tony should take heed, and that is if you can't drive to the spot, you got to find a better spot. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Get a better exactly. lease. <laughs> yeah. Well, those boys all want to go out and kill geese, and so Tony likes to go hunt the hunt the ducks. So, which I, I get. It's all there's nothing in my in my mind. Now I've haven't had the best timber hunt. I've had a couple timber hunts, which was probably equal to mallards coming down through the timber versus mallards coming to a cattail. So there's nothing prettier. It's beautiful. That's that's that's. I'll take that any day of the week over dry field hunting. So there is something to be said about it, but I don't know about that kind of work. Yeah. There's something to be said about it. <laughs> All right. Yeah. I do kind of like Rick Frisch's analogy or I guess his advice because there, there is, there is really cool opportunities of walking in. I get that, but there's nothing better than driving a truck up onto an oxbow or a river bank and, and just being able to light them up. But it, when Rick says that, does he mean a boat too, or does it have to have four wheels? He, no, he, he just anything. I think just if you can't. He's, he's strictly a dry ground hunter nowadays. Yeah, uh, he's, a, he's a dry ground. Let me ask you this: since I got a northerner and a southerner on, you mentioned Wabay. Is crappie or walleye better? North. What is the best North American whitefish? Not saltwater, freshwater fish. Is it crappie? Is it brim? Is it walleye or is it perch? Well, you finally said perch. Perch in the wintertime, to me, is the best white fish. Perch through the ice, to me, beats walleye through the ice. Walleye through the ice is a second. That's always best. Crappie's good. Don't get me wrong. But obviously, I'm a northerner. We have crappie up here. We have 
white crappie. We have white white crappies up here, and uh, and uh, and black crappies, I guess both. But anyways, that's your three target fish in the north. Um, for sure, you have pike and some stuff like that. But those are your three target fish for eating. And um, walleye is kind of the king up north. Uh, Christian, I know he I, likes it. They all they all bore himself. Yeah, I think it's but, better than crappie too. But white, but yellow perch, yellow perch through the ice to me is still the I've never had that. I want to make sure I understand you this. Never, you never guard. will because you won't come up here and get in the ice. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> I want to make sure I understand this though, Lars Guard. Um, you can tell the difference. Do you have to? Do you, do you have it to? It depends how you cook it. You can't. I'm telling you, there's nobody that's going to tell the difference between uh, northern and uh, crappie and walleye if you fry it. If you just do the normal batter and fry uh, it. I don't know. It's, I, it's I all good. Here's the thing. For mo- here's what I think the difference is. Crappie is freaking awesome. Walleye is over the top. And I think the difference is, now, if you maybe caught, had a bunch of three-pound crappie, different deal. But oh, the problem, yeah. I think with crappie is the, the fillets are thinner, and so you're eating just mostly breading. Well, the walleye fillet is thick, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I, yeah. yeah I, I, would agree. I, I would agree with that. People probably like that more on, on, on that particular stuff. I can really t- taste it when you do um, – like we make a lot of tacos um, with them where you just uh, um, cook them lightly in some butter or on the Blackstone, just quick grill them hard, blacken them on each side and, and then eat them in tacos or stuff, stuff like that, where it's not so much the deep fat fried and it's phenomenal. And I don't, I mean, walleye. So you're, so you're going, Christian's saying walleye, you're saying, you're saying perch, but he's never had perch. Yeah. I'm saying perch, perch, walleye, all year round is the best, but perch, in my opinion, through the ice when it's cold and you catch them in the ice, they just, they, I don't know, they clean up a little bit better. They just get, they're, they're good. A little more firmer. That is the sitting in a, a tent, drilling a hole through ice and fishing is the equivalent to me of walking a half mile through a cattail sloop. <laughs> I mean, hey, hey, don't, Dana's not here right now. I think she's shopping for stuff while we're up here doing our, Part of my job today is I got to get the ice shack down and get all the fishing equipment put away and get all the ice shack down out of the loft and put all that stuff down, get it all ready to go. So, and he calls it a shack. It's a tent. It's a tent. It's a tent. A tent. Yes. (laughs) Now, now I've seen the ones that like have trailers and people pull out there and they got satellite TV and they cook. It's basically a camper and it's got a hole in for. Now I can do that. Yeah, you got, the floor, got you got satellite TV. You're watching yeah, football. You yeah, got, you got your own cook station. Yeah, it's basically a camper. Those old Yetis and stuff like that, and uh, um, big ice shacks. They, but they're not portable. You can't get around. And I, I don't. I, I, I cannot talk intelligently about ice fishing because my wife has gotten me into it. She used to do it, and she loves it. I, I like. I don't like it. Christian, I want to know. I wanted I would like to look back in history on the first northerner to drive his F250 out onto a lake. Like that blows my mind when you see these northerners. I, look at this. Tell me if this if y'all can see this. Does that look fun? Does that look fun? No. You're getting wind burn, you're getting cold burn. Hey, hey, yeah, you got, I, again, I'm not agreeing with you. I don't think, I don't think it's that fun. I, I'm not, and I honestly, 
cannot sit that long side by side and have a conversation with someone all day long without wanting to just get away. I mean, I can't, that's not me. I mean, the good thing about us is I can drive right out here to right out here to the lake. You can't see it out there, but I can drive right out there at the ice shack. I can go. And then the bar is just on the other side. So I can just kind of keep going, drop them <laughs> off and I can keep going. <laughs> I, I wait, first of all, before I say this and I know we got to get all abandoned, but the truck comment I made, Christian, can you imagine like the first, have you seen these highways of ice fishermen that are literally like camping out with their 5,000 pound F-250s and, and all these trucks that are on the ice? I've never seen it. I've heard about it. <laughs> I mean, what, what you have to be thinking, Lars Gard, to actually, I mean, one, one, one crack of the ice and you're gone. Like, is there a mindset? Like if one guy's doing it, I do it. Or is there a meteor, a meteorologist in the area that you trust when he says the ice is thick enough, it's time to go. Or do you just no, stay you, away you, from you, that? You, you, it's kind of one of those things where you kind of follow the leader. There's always that one idiot that wants to go out there early and you see him out there walking with a sled and early ice. And we're talking like, those guys will go out there with an inch of ice, right? They'll all start walking out there with their poles and start walking. And then next thing you know, you got a four-wheeler out there. The next thing you know, you got a ranger out there. Then their pickups out there. Then, you know, <laughs> I don't go out there until it looks like a city is out there if I'm going to pull my pickup out there. And the fishing better be better be good. Otherwise, it's more of just a different form of entertainment. It's kind of See, like my, uh, my, my mindset is what it – Your question was, who was the first guy that decided, I'm going to drive my truck out there? Yeah. Like, yeah. Doing it, oh, and I get, I mean, but, you look at it and go, I mean, we're, I mean, it'll probably get, there'll be spots out here. The ice is 24 inches thick. You know what I mean? And super cold years are supposed to be this year. Hell, it could get to be 48 inches thick. I mean, I don't know. I've, I've, I've been the retail industry where we start selling those auger extensions. Well, your auger's already 48 inches plus, you know, maybe 50 inches. And then you go and buy an extension, another two foot extension, just to be able to get through the ice. You're pretty safe at that point in time. God, but i mean it's it's just not my deal either i don't uh it's kind of like there's a lot of winter sports to do bowling darts ice fishing they're they're kind of all in my same league that i don't do those yeah we i did 17 miles on a snowmobile across lake of the woods you have to have every Canada, minnesota. Oh, it's half half minnesota half canada we yeah, fish no, both no. sides you have to have 100 percent of your body covered up i had one little not even a dime area of my throat that was uncovered and when we got i got that what's that called not not cold burn but uh frostbite. yeah i got frostbite right there uh-huh. and it hurt for two weeks and i mean it was like a minuscule part but you drive uh-huh. 17 miles and then like what lars guards alluding to the this guy is 280 pounds this guy he work he works in the industry um but he's got everything he's got on this auger to go four feet through this ice and then I'm not bullsh- I'm not BSing you. We'd sit there for 10 minutes. We wouldn't get a bite. And then we were back on the three things going eight more miles. And he would dig the holes again. I'm like, it, like crazy to catch these fish. And then you just start pulling out a few walleye. And I'm like, there's got to be an easier way. But it's like, it's like a, a mindset to these guys that once the ice comes, that that's the best tasting fish in the world. They like it more than halibut. Yeah. They truly no, like it more than eat halibut. Group. Up here, it's a whole different, you know, again, and the Dakotas, North Dakota, stuff like that. And we probably should be talking about Banda, but it is it, it is interesting to look at. Is that you got to think of all the amount of construction workers and people that don't they're they're, they're off in the winter time, right? They they just don't have so those are the those are the guys that are all out here ice fishing now because they can't they're working their butt off all summer so they can sit on the ice all all winter. But this technology they have now is like what you said, where you move 
they're moving in seconds. They're drilling a hole, and some of them don't even get out of their four-wheeler. They're dropping they're, with this Garmin technology now. They're moving. Drill a hole, drop it out the window, go, move, 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 and it's become pretty. pretty Garmin cool. doesn't have enough technology to make me want to do that. Dude, I've, I've, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I just witnessed it at Leech Lake. I was up there for reeds and I saw our guide. You don't even fish anymore. He would literally take the rod out of your hand and cast for you because he's playing a video game down here with his Garmin technology. And he, he doesn't yeah. even trust you to cast where you need to cast to catch the fish that he's got tied to a log down there. You know, <laughs> like he's got this technology that you can't not catch him. It's like not even fishing, but yeah. um, it's starting. it's starting to get... <clears throat> I posted a video the other day about how it's getting cold in the north and 99% of the uh, feedback I got was, no, it's not. Um, I also got word today in Arkansas that, you know, for Christian said something and then our buddy Joel said something that we need water. Um, Christian, you start this off of your midlife right now and you've been doing this for, I'm going to say, I'm going to tell the listening audience that you've been hunting ducks for at least 30 years yeah and i know it's longer than that um before we get into the actual garments again how much has duck hunting changed and is it for the better or the worse and i and i'm talking about kind of what we just talked about with these electronics there was a time when you had to go out and actually hope that a fish bit your lure and that you could match the hatch and fly fishing, or you could, or you, you, you knew the water temperature and the water depth and all that. Now you got things that just tell the story for you and take that all out of it, all out of the equation. Has it changed to that, to that amount, you know, to that um, level in duck hunting, waterfowl hunting? And do you feel personally that we're, that the changes are better for the future of, of this lifestyle? I, I, you know, I don't, I think they're, you know, I, I don't know. This is what it seems like. I, and you can probably refute this with data from hunting licenses, but it seems like to me that more people are ducking it, right? It's, more people are involved. So I think it's gotten tougher because I think ducks are so pressure sensitive. Um, but I think it, it's gotten tougher. Uh, they don't, I don't think they migrate automatically like they used to. Um, I think there are, and this is any kind of hunting. There's, this has got nothing to do with technology. There are less places for people to go um, because of leases. Does that make sense? I mean, around here. Uh, as as far as technology, I mean, I, I don't think anything's changed since the the only thing that what this this has changed technology. The instant knowledge of, in my opinion, the instant knowledge of where the birds are at and how they're doing communication wise. Yeah, um, but that doesn't necessarily affect the hunt. I'm mean, talking about like fishing with the with the graph or what's that thing called the side scan or whatever they call that deal. Yeah, like the pantonics and live scope. Life scope. There's nothing like that. I mean, the spinning wing decoy came out. What year was that? 99. 98, 99. That yep. changed it for a while, but now, I mean, you know, are they are they still effective on certain days? But you know, in 98, 99, they were effective every day, no matter what was going on, right? <laughs> so I don't 
I don't know. I, I don't think. Let me ask it this way. Do you think that right now in 2022, if you had the, if you had the energy that you had 25 years ago, 20 years ago, and I'm not saying you don't, I'm just assuming that none of us do. Could you run your outfitting service the same way that you did back in 2000 and have success with it the exact same way you were running it then? Could you apply that practice today in 2022 in the waterfowl world and have success for your clients and your business? Yeah, I think so. I think so. I mean, it's, it's all about, it's, it's year to year, right? What the weather does, but yeah, I think, I mean, it's all about how you manage your property and, and the, the pressure you put on. But if the ducks are there, yeah, I don't think that, I, I don't think that much has changed. I mean, here's the deal. If you've got ducks around and you have sunshine and some wind, you're going to kill them. If yep. you don't, you're not. I wish somebody, I wish that was a seminar series. You just <laughs> welcome to Christian Curtis seminar. And then seven seconds later, you, all right, everybody can Any leave. Questions? <laughs> Any questions? Okay. Yeah. That would be the greatest. That's the no. thing that has changed the most in my life in the last 15, 10 years is before I would go no matter what, I didn't even look at the weather. Well, now, if it's going to be cloudy and no wind, I'm, I'm not going. Not, 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 uh-uh. <laughs> no, 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 no. Lay up. Hey, I'll, have bre- I'll have breakfast ready for y'all when you get back. <laughs> I'm getting. I'm literally crying because this is like this should be known by everybody. Like how many people think that that overcast sky is a ducky day, you know? And then Lars Guard's going, nah, uh, 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 no, like, <laughs> I mean, if it's going to be cloudy, but you got some wind or, or, uh, it's going to rain. Yeah. Different deal. But if it is cloudy and no, wind. no if it's no wind, yeah, no, the wind to me is the most important thing. If there's no wind, you're not going to shoot them. Like we want to shoot them. It's not going to freaking happen. I don't care what anybody says. And no. you can put all the water waivers and uh, <laughs> you got to have, you got to have. That's another part of the seminar. The water, um, water waivers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that true though? It, it's so true. And it's like, but people don't want to hear it. And then if you put it into what you used to do, you know, you let, let's just take, what are the percentage of duck hunters that go with an outfitter? I'd say it's a pretty good percentage. I mean, that go. That there's go a, there's, I'd say fifty percent more now than there ever has been. I would oh, guess. yeah, more now. There's more, there's more, more ground leased up. But yeah. now, but now you start thinking yeah. of that outfitter. Like they have to keep that that optimistic, positive, reinforced oh, attitude, yeah, yeah, yeah. right? Because oh, they got to go. Like yeah. they've that, this hunt's been booked for ten months at least. They got to go, and, and they're they, so know. pumped up. They get there and they're so <laughs> pumped up, and the next three days are sixty-eight degrees, light and variable wind and cloudy. Yeah. Yeah. And in, you, in your mind, you're like, we aren't going to kill crap. No, what you're not going to do. You do the whole deal. You do the whole deal where you move decoys like six times, and you know, do this. Yeah. Oh. How much is Christian? And I don't, I, I, I don't know because it's, it's just starting up here. How much has the land management changed down there comparatively? Because I, I went hunting with you in the early days at your guys's place, and and seen it. But now it seems like 
the land management's gotten so much more serious. Well, yes, and that brings up a, a, a point. It has, but at the same time, like this year, it, you know, everybody knows how dry it is, right? Yeah. Everything here has been dissed twice and ready for spring. They're ready I mean, to go. Everything. So I don't know if it's, I don't know how to explain that. I'm, I'm saying, yeah, people still manage their land for hunting, but given the chance to manage it for farming, they're still managing for farming. Well, especially with crop prices the way they are, you can't, you can't. Uh, oh no, no. Question a farmer for that right now. They're oh, finally no. making some money and doing stuff, and I get, I get that. That's first, first priority. Where, yeah, you know, <clears throat> I mean, they get fifteen thousand dollars to lease a field, or you're talking way more money in the, uh, depending on how the crop does. You know, fifteen thousand bucks is nothing. No, I, what I've seen too is, I guess I would say is. Obviously, down down south, further 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 south and stuff like that. You look at Honey Break and different, and they're you know not not they're newer, but compared to some of the older duck clubs on there, they always manage 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 the property, had their their holes cut, everything done there. You didn't see much of it through Missouri. It, it grew into Missouri. Now you're seeing Kansas and Oklahoma and these places, and even North South Dakota. The places are starting to you get these clubs now. They're really managing property. Yeah. And, and and when I, I was speaking of actual farms that people oh, yeah. lease and hunt, but as far as yeah, I think management has gotten way different, way better in like actual quote unquote duck clubs that are strictly it's not a farm deal; it's for managed for duck hunting. Well, you hear people get negative about it, like, well, if it wasn't for the Vandemores and the whoever and this and that, they're holding all the ducks because they're managing; they're stopping them ahead of time. Well. Uh, I don't know if that's true or not. That's not, you know. I mean, yeah, I, I don't I don't know how. I just, I think, and, and you probably know more about this, you know, big deal was when they went to no-till farming. You know, mm -hmm. that, that changed a lot. And I think, you know, what would be interesting, Chad, you may know more about this, with like what happened to goose hunting in Southern Illinois? Why did the geese, that's, that's the, if you can answer that question, why did the geese quit? You know, Thanksgiving in 1982, there'd be a million geese, uh, you know, around Crab Orchard every year. It didn't matter what the weather was. Now they don't, uh, unless it's extreme, they don't see anything. It's almost changed to more of a duck spot to where like right. Ballard County, Kentucky, and then you get over to like Crab Orchard. The only thing that I've learned, and this is not my theory, I've just kind of become a melting pot, is that the the growth of America and the need for power with power plants opening up and keeping water open and heated water open along the Mississippi River, you know, the Mississippi River, you go up to Chicago and you go to places in, in Minnesota now and, and different places of Illinois, even down like Peoria, they have a lot of power plants that these, you, these geese just stay there year yeah. round. And if they can get to food source, like a cornfield that doesn't have a foot of snow on it and they can get a good enough diet they just quit going that far south. And uh, I mean, that's that's all I can think of, because other than that, the the number of Canada geese is at an all time high. There's Canada. They say the numbers are there. I mean, besides oh. the Atlantic Flyway, you can I mean, there's there's states you can kill eight during the regular season. I was just in New York. You kill 15 a day. I know where Eric lives during the early season. You could kill at least 10 a day. So the yeah. numbers are there. 
I just think that from what I've heard and, and the source of this has been Kelly Powers because he's a goose hunter that lives in Tennessee. He right. says he says there's just too many power plants north of him that have diverted the Canada goose of staying up there because they have open water year round. And if they can get the food, they're not coming down. And then once the other ones start to migrate, they see those big concentrations and they just make that their new home. Yeah. And I, and I think that, that the point of that whole conversation, and, and I think ducks are the same, is they only go as far south as they have to. to eat. Period. And now we what, haven't had is snow. That, is that somebody holding, keeping them from going? No, I mean, they're not keeping them from going. Exactly. They have another option. Well, and, I, I look back at my, you know, in my, my lifetime, you look at Growing up, I mean, I grew on the farm, had to walk uphill both ways, all your old dad, both ways to school, you know, um, and snow, foot of snow. Like, we literally, I mean, I remember our driveways piled up, we sled, I mean, do stuff as kids. I haven't seen that in 10 years, 15 years. I haven't seen where we're covering a foot or two of snow for the majority of the year. We're, our ground is generally barren for the most part <clears throat> on this stuff. And and when it does snow, again, the no-till, it's another factor that happens, all that snow one thing we're surely it's going to get up here is we're going to get wind. Well, everyone's up there, not no-till. We have a lot of people at till. We have so much early people cutting and disking everything right now. When you knock all those stocks down, where does all that snow go when it blows? Right in the ditch. So now the field's bare. So the birds can eat all year round unless we get some real crazy heavy snow. And That's like a you great said, point. All the big city, city points and everything like that that are open, all these sewer lagoons, whatever, they're all, they don't need, they have water. Yeah, because you get, uh, and you're going to have some ducks. You're going to have some ducks in areas like they finally got to some parts of Oklahoma in in the first, maybe like the tenth through the twelfth of January last year. Up until then, it was very inconsistent. And when you get there, going back to our conversation about people booking a hunt and being all fired up, they're like, "Oh, we're going, we're going to kill them." Well, with our with our you know network and our footprint and our ability to communicate with duck hunters and goose hunters across the country and north of the border. In January, the first week of January last year, in Western North Dakota, they had record numbers of mallards still because of exactly what mm-hmm. Lars Gard just described. They were not leaving the in Missouri what, in, what in January. They were not. And this is after uh-huh. the season closed up there. They're not even hunting yeah, anymore, but the Missouri River obviously is open. And exactly what Eric said, if they got snow, the farming practices have let the snow blow into the ditches, you know, where the pheasant used to be. And now the ducks and geese can go into these cornfields and eat year round. And then that goes back to what Christian just said. They're not going yeah. any further south than they need to. They're really not. I have I have video of December mallards landing on top of you know how the trains go through like edmonton alberta and they have the grain piles they're mm-hmm. literally flying in and landing on top of the grain pile still in the 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 compartments of the train the mallards are flying and landing all over there and it's december so people are like oh ducks leave canada in september no they don't if they if they don't have to they're not leaving up there yeah and, and they used to you know back 40 years ago fields and you know they waited like they waited on the mississippi river to back out or you know they they hunted backwater and and now it's just changed and and but, well uh, we all have our old dates i mean i i know for goose hunting for us to kick off we always had our early goose season but high, hunting migrating birds was that first week for out of pier area which is really good where tyson keller and all these guys have hunted and where i uh got first got started goose hunting with jim thompson was that first week, right going into, into Thanksgiving, 
that's when the lessers were coming down. We'd have unbelievable lesser hunts. It was, oh, you could time it to the T on that. And then the big ones, you know, your, your northerners, your graders or whatever, they always say, they, then they come after that. Then that happened all the way through December and January, you, you'd have them. But they stay in pier, but the lessers would all fly out. Now the lessers are not even getting down here on some of them. They're staying up in North Dakota. So to end this part of the conversation, Lars Gard, if you're a client in Charlotte, North Carolina, and I want to experience North Dakota or South Dakota, and obviously in South Dakota, you have to apply for a license as a non-resident. When do I book my trip? If I'm, if I'm sitting there looking at it right now, and I know I get a week off of work in, two, in the fall of 2023, and I'm taking my son and my daughter up to the North Dakota or South Dakota, Devil's Lake, wherever it is. Yeah. When do I go? What part of the year do I go? Has that been pushed back now, even up I north? Think it has, I honestly think it has been. I mean, obviously, you always, I mean, again, North Dakota and South Dakota, um, basically, we nest half the birds, half the population, right? Uh, and in, in that, in the um, Glacial Lakes region, right where I'm at right now, um, all the way to Devil's Lake. Start kind of starts here, actually, a little bit further south of me, goes all the way up there. We, so that early season, you're going to have birds, but if you want to hunt, birds are going to respond to a call and do stuff well. Um, Devil's Lake area, if you're going to go to North Dakota, that was always the right now, literally our best time was we had to bring all the dealers in. And then we'd always stay that first week in November. Cause I always remember cause the, the rut it always like I was torn. I'm going to hunt the rut or I'm going to hunt all the mallards that are, I mean, really do it, work it out. I think that Thanksgiving time period, both States is really good. That time period. That's so that, later, later on. And then stuff like that, as long as you don't have no crazy, like that time you're up here filming the Benelli commercial in October, whatever that was when we remember that we had that, Two, two feet of snow that dumped on us all the way through here and we were all iced up and everything iced up that as long as you don't get any freak things like that that november 20th through thanksgiving it would be a time period i hit what what i say no matter where you're going i always said this back in the day and this is i, I truly believe this for people that are going with outfitters pick a pick a time like depending on where you're going pick a time and go that time every year. Because once you start chasing dates, you never know. What, like you just said, that big snowstorm. If you're going to go the first week of October, go the first week of October every year. You're going to hit it, and you, you might miss it a year or so. But if you go, well, I'm not going the first week of October because I tried to go last year, and I got two feet of snow, and everything was gone. So I'm going to go two weeks early. Well, you may go two weeks early, and it's 85 degrees. You know, pick a, pick a, a week. And stick with it. You'll have way more success. Okay, so with what Eric just said, that he would he would come all the way to North Dakota, mm -hmm. the the time of the year, relatively speaking, that where you grew up hunting is opening day. Mm -hmm. So now you're fired up, Christian, because now you're in the timber in Arkansas. Is it true where I'm going with that, Christian Curtis? Is is it true that Arkansas is going to push their season back now and open later? And it's, if that is true, and if you have heard, or if you haven't, I apologize for asking, but yeah, if yeah. it is true and you have heard that, is that because of what Lars Gard is saying, that the Ducks just aren't down there enough come that Thanksgiving weekend when the World Championship duck calling is? Yeah, I think, yeah. I mean, as far south as, as we're going, as, as you're talking about, yeah, I think a week opening a week later is fine. Um, my favorite time to hunt is right around the first of the year. I think In that's – in the South. I mean, if you're picking a week, that's a great week. Huh. I'm, I'm glad you said that. I've always thought like early December, but 
not early December, but like that 10th through the 15th time frame is like when I've always wanted to be like, is that usually the, the, the start of the second split? They would call it. Yeah. So you're basically a second opening day. You know, obviously the first few days of the opening of the season is always good, no matter what. Um, because especially like around where you're talking about in the prairie, there are still, no matter what the temperature is, there's still ducks going there. I mean, they leave Canada and that's where they're going because they're always there. You know, there's ducks there already right now. Um, you get that initial push, but then what happens after that is weather, whatever, weather dictated. Okay, so Christian, tell me real quick, you don't need to be real quick, but and I know that we've touched on a couple of my questions today in the in the first three episodes of the Bandit Hour. But when it comes that time of year of the Southern Duck Hunter, and that's going to be consistently going, okay, you're you're going hard from let's say December first for the next sixty days. Yeah, is there one consistent banded? Laid out on a bed, you know, you see these pictures that people will post of like opening days tomorrow and they got their top, they got their bottoms, they got their accessories and stuff. Is there <laughs> one consistent, for lack of better terms, outfit that you can wear for the Southern Duck Hunter that he or she will not have to change for the whole year? Unless, of course, something does happen like Olar's Guard alluded to and you get a big deep freeze or something. But is what banded outfit would you suggest? For the Southern Duck Hunter, is that even an a, a, a answerable question? Oh, I mean, yeah. I mean, he, aside from waders, you mean? Well, I don't know. Like, is there? I know that we've talked about the uninsulated waiter, but is that still what you're sticking with of layering yeah. under the waiter for a Southern Duck Hunter? Yeah, I, I mean, it would be a three layer. I mean, a, a, a zip in, zip out jacket. Just just basic, I would get a zip-in, zip-out jacket, a pair of waiter pants, and a pair of uninsulated waiters. You can wear that every single day. And it a covers zip- you from early season to late season. It, it covers, covers you all the way. Now, if it gets real cold, you want to, you know, add wool base layer or something underneath your waiters. But uh, if it gets real hot, you can take out the liner in your jacket. If it's raining, you got a waterproof jacket. I mean, I, and, and I think that's that would cover you for sure. So, so tell me like a guy's going to do his shopping or girls going to do their shopping. Let's just stick with a guy right now because we have way more skews than that. What, what are these items that you're referring to as what, what would be the top two zip in zip out jackets that you would I mean, use for the have, Southern duck hunter? We have, I mean, you got Califaction, uh, you have the uh, Spire catalyst and you have the, uh, uh, we have an Avery one now. I mean, we've got four or five different ones. Um, obviously, the Aspire is, um, because it has event lamination, is the nicest and the most breathable. Uh, and then we, we're, uh, the Avery is probably the lowest price point. But still, it's a great jacket. Um, mm-hmm. it's just bare bones, no frills. Nice jacket. And... Uh, as far as the waiter pant, we've got third quarter, you know, white river waiter pants, soft shell waiter pant, utility pant. We got a bunch of different waiter pants, athlete, athletic waiter pant. Um, it just some of them like on the waiter pants, some are laminated, you know, <clears throat> windproof. 
and would be a little bit warmer. Some are fleece lined, some are not. So it's just, it's a, a preference thing. If it was me, what I would buy would probably be, uh, I would get Califaction, mm-hmm. a White River waiter pant, an athletic waiter pant, and a pair of uninsulated waiters. I would probably go um, Black Label Elite un- uninsulated. Um, See, this is, these are the questions that I love to get answers because a lot of people want to be educated on this there it's it's a tough decision with the the choices out there how important this is this might sound dumb at Lars guard but how important are hang tags and the descriptions of these products where a, a consumer can get intel right away in the retail outlet or online um do do companies and manufacturers let's just say stay with all, banded do we do a mm-hmm. good enough job of educating the consumer on what he or she can expect from these garments without having Christian Curtis goes, here's what I would buy a califaction, a black label, elite uninsulated, an athletic waiter pant, that white water waiter pant. Like, would it be better to have a mannequin in there that talks that tells somebody what to buy? How do we educate the buying public? Cause we get overloaded with questions of which one should I get? Which one's best for this? Um, you know, you kind of know where I'm going with that, Lars. Yeah, no, the- I do. I do where you're going with it, and it's it's one of those questions that I don't know how to how to tru- truly answer. I would love to have a mannequin that talk there. Obviously, every retail shop, you'd love to have a TV with the right kind of signage and, and uh, POP and all that stuff around there explaining our products. But obviously, uh, not every retail establishment is uh, capable of doing that. First off, we're having room or space to do that. So hang tags obviously are very vital to the product because it's always on the garment. It's easy. It's not a great big production house that's inside a, a retail store. Um, uh, that's our always obviously the first step. Number two is, you know, the good thing about banded products are the majority of our products are in retail establishments that they're people are fairly knowledgeable. There's some that are not, but a lot of the retailers are good and a lot of those guys know what products to step into or can explain stuff to you. And you just gotta ask. You know, a lot of guys are too proud to ask, but I just ask a lot of guys. But our you look at our hang tags. We try to explain stuff pretty good. We have our mid-layer, our core. Um, so you start with next to skin, which would be your, your core, your mid-layer, your um, insulated pieces. And then we have, um, um, uh, I'm trying to think of how we name it because we have different names for everything, but shield. Shield, and that covers you from everything. So we try to explain with these descriptive words here to kind of give that, uh, in the layman's terms, to figure it out on there. But obviously, every person is different. Um, some people like myself, I'm a hot, hot blooded person. So I was listening to Christian explain that stuff on it uh, with his waiter pants. And I'd be like, why does he have two different pairs of waiter pants? Well, Hey, he went to a, a non-insulated, uh, waiter, which I think that's the future all the way across the board, um, on it. Cause you can, you can gear yourself behind that waiter, however you need to, based on that day's temps or the area that you're hunting in. Um, so he had that, uh, athletic waiter pant um on there on his list so that's the early season pant right and he also said wool so later on when it gets really really cold out there that's when he's going to uh switch over to the white river waiter pants which has uh another form of lamination there that helps keep your body heat in it has a, a coral fleece backer in there um for insulation pur- purposes and it's super warm then you throw that wool in there like that you don't need anything warmer than that and if you want to then you can go to a primo loft style pant or whatever else we have in there um in in our selection to, to be warm, but you have to have, um, if you buy the pieces, um, 
that you can add to that's a that's a good thing i know your first question was what is the go-to piece well the easy question to answer that is that this is a go-to the calefaction because you have your early season all the way late it's all one it's an all-in-one type piece but as you get into your hunting and in your elements you'll find out man this is awesome, but I do want to add this to my my wardrobe. I want to get a vest in there because I'm a big vest guy. Uh, I like to keep everything free um, when I'm doing stuff, and I want to keep my core warm. So, you, you but the all-in-one piece, like Christian said, that that calefaction is the is the piece to go. But I don't know if I answered your question at all. On no, you on did. You did. I kind of went off on other stuff, but just because Christian brought up some good points there on those pieces. How educated Christian Curtis are the sales associates across the board? with this type of information are there classes available are there demonstrations by manufacturers that you guys that we go in and we educate the floor associates to that they can speak on this yeah we do and most of them are pretty daggone good uh they they know their craft pretty well the problem can be they're just overloaded i mean you got one person guy or girl working up uh, clothing department and a hunting store and they got 14 people in their shop and he or she makes it tough to get around all of them. You know what I mean? Um, so I think that's kind of the challenge. And I also think that seems like a lot of people do a lot more research online. Now. I think the, I think in general, the hunters are more educated on this stuff now. And I mean, maybe you're getting a bunch of feedback where that's not the case, but it seems like when we're working events at, at Max or Simmons or wherever, a lot more people now come in. They don't need to talk to anybody. They just, the only question they got is where is the calefaction or where is this? You know, they've already done the research and they know what they're coming for and they don't need to talk to anybody. So I think so much more, information is available you know on your phone um you i think a lot of people make choices before they ever get there huh so you, hey, you you're getting feedback with that you're like no it's not true because i hear this all the time i don't know we just get a lot of questions like what do you recommend and i like to be educated on it and it just makes me wonder my i guess where i'm going with this line of questioning is the diversity of the line that Bandit has out, and now Avery, you guys have mentioned. It, there is something for everybody. That's what we're saying. There's something for everybody within this line. But is there something that it just makes it tough, in my opinion, to forecast this of like, well, if 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 the Califaction's the piece to go with, it's going to have you from early season all the way through late season. Then why are there other ones? Like, is it is it strictly price point? Or could or could you just go off of maybe two tops and and that's all you need in the whole selection or portfolio of Bandit is kind of my question of like, if you're telling me that our customer base would or your customer base would be so happy with the Califaction, why are there so many choices in just one brand's portfolio? Does that question make sense? Yeah, and, and that's, it's about, uh, uh, I would say it's about the the added value of the products you're talking about for example i mean why does gmc have six different levels of 2500s i mean 
the uh, work truck 2500 do the exact same thing that the uh, Denali will do. What's the difference? Can we refer to Fords, please? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I just wanted you to okay, do okay, the, the XLT versus the Platinum. <laughs> that's a go. great. That's a great point. It's a great point, but is the Platinum? Is the Platinum? It it's it's got different uh, different materials. Is options, it, features, whatever it might be, right? It, yeah. Is leather seats imperative over cloth seats? I mean, it is to me. Does it become the mindset of, and there are a such thing as a car collector, but you don't really see somebody go out and buy all tw all seven 2022s, you know, Fords that are available, but you do have car collectors that have a 65 Shelby da, 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 on down the line. And then those things that are sitting behind your head right now, Christian Curtis, one will do the job for the whole season. But yeah. then there's, there's the collectors that, you know, you can go online to duck call collection websites and like bid on calls that have been out for two years that are hard to get, whatever. Does this part of the mindset with a clothing company like Banded become, I got to have one of everything? Is that ever in your guys' mindset when you're designing this stuff that there are those people out there that are are just eaten up with the brand and they're going to have it, have it all? No, no, I don't know. I think but, it's. Uh, I think like let's take the Aspire for example. I see the Califaction right because it will freaking do the job. It's an awesome jacket. But then you go to the Aspire, which is definitely more expensive let's call that uh uh king ranch it's got better lamination it's going to keep you uh warmer because you're not going to sweat it breathes so much better i mean there are definitely it's not smoke and mirrors there are def is definitely a value add to that piece i mean there's no doubt about it are you gonna die if you don't have that no no but you will be more comfortable. Yeah. Now, how but much is that worth to you? You're you're just we're we're dialing in to your specific hunt better. Um, everybody hunts different areas, different regions, different places, different ways. From a cattail slew to a dry field to a timber to whatever you have it on the you know the shoreline, whatever whatever ways you're hunting. I think each per each person is looking for uh, that piece that has the features that are that maybe suit them better for their particular style of hunting. Um, no different than I look at it. You're talking about pickup trucks. Look at it from a golf standpoint. None of you guys golf. But a pitching wedge will get you anything, right? A pitching wedge, the only thing I got to do is swing harder or do whatever. I got that. But now you have a, you have your gap wedge. You have your 52, your 56, your 54. For each, each yardage, it's dialed in. That's just dialed in. So our pieces are just dialing it in uh, for that Pacific hunter just a little bit better. And yeah. uh, we use the, the word the califaction. Just that's just your that's your pitching wedge. It'll it, I can I can hit that uh, ten yard shot, or I can hit that sixty five yard shot. Whatever I can do it all or ninety or whatever you're hitting. But it's it, it's fine. But I want to get that other thing that's a little bit better. Or you know whether I'm dry field hunting or whatever, or I'm hunting in California at eighty degree temperatures versus whatever. You know you have the pieces that are dialed in just a little bit better, more unique for that person. So, I, I don't want to say to the consumer that you've got to buy the Aspire or your 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 hunt's going to suck because that's not true. Will it? Are you a little bit more comfortable? Are you more comfortable with this jacket? Yes, but it's not. You don't have to have it. 
you know, you know what I mean? That's, that's great. That's great to hear. That's I like the transparency and the honesty because it's their choice. If they want a little bit more, that aspire line is there for them. Yeah, exactly. But I really, I really want to know this of like what Lars Gard was just describing um, in, in uh, according to Christian's outfit, you're really being honest with the customer base, Eric Larsgaard, that I've been up in North Dakota and South Dakota and thrown coffee up in the air and watched it crystallize <laughs> before it hits the ground and turned to snow. And this is a hot, hot coffee. Yeah. You're telling me that up there where the temperatures can absolutely drain you, you still think that a guy or a girl can get away with an uninsulated waiter on the Missouri River in North Dakota in in December with the right layering system. 100%. And it's and it's all it's layering, right? It's 100% layer. I'm not saying you're going to go out there and and uh and wear your blue jeans underneath the the white the the uninsulated pair of waders and go hunt or just a pair of uh, athletic waiter pants and go hunt and you're going to be comfortable. No. No, you're going to have to layer correctly. You're going to have to have your wool and then you're going to have to have your Prima Loft pant on and then your then your waiter and whatever thickness of prima lock panel you might need something else depending on your 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 strengths right um if you're hot blood or cold blooded or whatever but 100 percent, no doubt in my mind i can get somebody just as warm with the correct products just as warm as it would be if they bought a pair of insulated waiters christian so, what he just described how many layers is that how many garments is that that he just described with the wool? The pre is that is that one pair of thermals with one pair of waiter pants with one pair of uninsulated waiters yeah, for North Dakota? Hot. Yeah, yeah. If it was super cold, I would uh, have a wool base, prim off pant, and the waiter. And there's there's three levels of you on you're moving athletically 100 percent comfortable and you're swift and nimble still with that with that oh, yeah, style yeah, that you just right. described yeah, yeah. Well, hey, here's the deal most people are wearing base layer anyway when it's cold right so that's nothing new so they're wearing you're wearing base but we're saying wear wool because there's been so much you know as a as a as a industry, we went through the whole synthetic base layer deal, right? You may, everybody knows that. And it's just, I, it was a, it doesn't touch wool. It, it was just great, great marketing. It does not touch wool. Wool is what you need. So then you got that layer and then you're, you're not going to, no matter what, you're not going to be wearing uh, uh base layer and then a waiter. You always got something in between it. So we're not adding layers, but we're adding, we're not adding numbers of layers. We're telling you the correct layer. Yeah. I mean, and, and a, pre-mall pre-mall pant, a pre-mall pant, dude, you can, you can wad the sucker up and put it in this Diet Coke bottle. I mean, it's nothing. And you're, you, you would see that and you're like, there's no freaking way this is going to keep me warm. It's just, yeah. that's what's changed is, the quality, like we've talked about this in the past, the quality of materials, the quality of insulations, the quality of laminations is just mind blowing. And you well, can me, be, go ahead, I'm sorry. No, I'm sorry. You can be what? I was just going to say, you can be so freaking warm and so comfortable with minimal amount, minimal amounts of material, if that makes sense. What? 
I want to reverse it on both of you, Christian and Eric, real quick. What gets taken away if you do choose the insulated waiter? Specifically, if I say I'm going to buy an insulated waiter by Banded, are you telling me that I can wear blue jeans under that and be comfortable in North Dakota when it's negative <laughs> 25 with the wind chill? Because it no, does get that saying. cold up there, right? Yeah, no, 100%. Can you be warmed up? Again, depend on the person. What you, what it takes, what you're losing is versatility, in my opinion. So I'm not going to go out here at opening. At, uh, well, actually, not even opening. Um, right now, this morning was 33 degrees out, or 28 degrees, excuse me, 28 degrees. I think it's 38 degrees right now here. Three days ago, it was 70 degrees here. That insulated waiter at 70 degrees, whoo, baby, and you're doing any kind of working, that's going to be a warm waiter to be wearing. You know what I mean? Well, I have my uninsulated, no problem. I can wear, you know, a pair of sweatpants, uh, whatever you want, maybe just, just strictly my wool, my 180-gram wool underneath it, whatever I want to, just to keep that little chill off. But in the morning, because by the time it gets, you know, 9 o'clock, it's 65 degrees out, whatever. Now, this morning is totally different. So you lose that versatility. Um, by having that insulated waiter, can you it's all, warm? That's it. It's all about versatility, 100%. It's all about versatility, is the to take out of today's conversation. Of yeah, it, you, you can have an insulated waiter in North Dakota for December hunting, yeah, you can do it, and you don't have to have as many layers underneath it. Is that fair to say? What is the layer I need underneath that before you take me down this path, Christian Curtis, of the versatility part of this to where what Eric just said? Well. In November, it was 70 degrees here on November 1st. So why would you not want to have a waiter system with with layering that you're still going to be able to add to when it is negative 25 with the wind chill come December? That's kind of where you're going with this, correct? You, you might not, with the difference, you might not have to wear a base. I mean, mm -hmm. if, but here's the deal. When, when you're talking extremes, like you were talking negative 20 degrees, it doesn't matter. You're freaking cold. Christian, you're not going hunting, are you? No, I'm not. Gonna... <laughs> no. Well, you get you get all your Eric's ice fishing. I mean, what about <laughs> exactly? Exactly. I mean, I got all my stuff ready for right now. I'm I'm going to Kansas here Sunday to go whitetail hunt, right? So just just in your wool, we're saying base layer core, right? Well, there's multiple options in that. I I have I have my hundred hundred and fifty gram wool packed with me for those just those early mornings because I think it's going to be that sixty degree temperatures in there. But I also have my two hundred and thirty gram. That's a big, big difference. You know what I mean? So in every person's arsenal, you got to have a couple different pieces of base core just by itself. Because I can get by those early mornings. Again, it's all about comfortable. And what is your comfort level to my comfort level? Totally different. I may be perfect with 150. You may be freezing your butt off, but you put 230 on. I'm cozy warm like I'm sitting in a fireplace, you know? So it's yeah. all about a person's comfort level, too. We, we've kind of come full circle. The initial question was, what is... You, what pieces do you need that will cover you? And that's what that's where we started. But now we're we're kind of come to we've got the pieces that if if you are only going to buy this and that you're going to buy a pair of waders, a pair of uh, uh, a jacket, a pair of waiter pants, and and um, base layer. That's what we talk. About. That's all you're going to buy. But there, and what Eric's pointing out there, man, there, that's that's cutting it to almost two bare bones because there's so many different options to keep you comfortable, warm, cool, whatever, throughout the entire season to match any of the conditions that you could potentially face. 
And, and so, although what I said is true, and I stand by 100%, the pieces that I said, Will, you're, you're good. But, you know, Eric just pointed out the, the two different levels of base layer. I mean, do you have to have that? And if, if Eric didn't work for Bandit, would he go out and buy both those? I don't, that's, I don't know. Yes, I would, because I'm smart. But I'm just kidding. It's a great thing. It's, it's a great it's, question. You, you talk about learning. The, you talk about learning. dog food right now. You're looking for good dog food right now. I know I'm going way off here, but you're looking at $93, $97 a bag right now in some instances for high-grade dog food. Do you cut corners on that dog and his health or her health and is that her ability? We're, dog food? we're done with it. <laughs> oh, we're done with it. <laughs> it's it's but there it truly is. That's the, that's the deal. So is the mindset, guys, that if you want ultimate comfort, buy both. I mean, don't cut corners. If you're not going to cut corners on your dog food or your your two thousand dollar shotgun or your thirty dollar a box ammo or your fifteen thousand dollar duck boat, twenty eight thousand dollar UTV. Duck hunters are notorious for not cutting corners on gear. That's why I asked, do we get one of everything no, here's when it what, comes to this stuff? That's great. Here's what I would, yeah, I mean, business-wise, I'd say, yeah, you got to buy one of everything. Logically and honestly, what I would say is start with something, and if you're uncomfortable in any way, there's something else that can make you comfortable. Yeah. If you're wearing a 150-gram base and you're still cold, we have 230 grams. You will not be cold. If, if the 60-gram Primloft pant or, or the 100-gram uh, the Primloft pant is too warm, we've got a 60. You see what I'm saying? There's just... Again, dialing it down to you. To you you got to dial it into yourself. It's, it's such a personal thing. I mean, a personal... You guys have taken waterfowl hunting and turned it into a, uh, okay, I'm not really into style as some people would tell me, but a Dillard's or a Macy's or a, a high-end Fifth Avenue store in New York City, personal shopping experience. You can get fitted almost for what you want for your hunt. Like Eric talked about before, you can personalize your hunt big time. And like what Christian just said, you can add to it. You can, you can say, I do have this 150 grand, but I'm going to North Dakota and I've never experienced up there hunting in December. I'm going to get a 230 gram insulate. So like, that's, that's kind of personalizing it. Like we've been doing in these high end retailers for a suit per se, or like when I went to the Kentucky Derby, I looked like an idiot, but I had to go talk to a personal shopper to get fitted. Right. So that's kind of what you're saying is that you've personalized the experience without somebody sitting there taking your inseam per se and matching it a hundred percent. Like when you're getting your tuxedo for prom, Eric, yeah. I know. Yeah. I know. And it's, it's like, I can, I can give you a recommendation, but to what, what Eric's saying is it's, it's almost like, man, you have to figure out, but somebody like Josh Beckham, I think that sucker literally wears his underwear under his uninsulated waiter. And burns up. I mean, he sweats to death. He's the hottest natured sucker I've ever seen in my life. Me, on the other hand, I get cold. I have to prepare and wear more layers. I just get cold. That's just all there is to it. Yeah. So everybody is so different. And the seasons and the season changes, you know, drastically. 
in certain areas, in, in certain regions, ours, we, well, I mean, in, especially in we go from 80, we go to 80 to sub-zero, right? Temperatures. It's like when a mountain climber takes off the base of the base of the hill and going to the peak. He is not wearing his parka from there going up. He's got all he has his different means all the way through, designated and, for him and temperatures and what his rigors are. And how do you know about a mountain climber? Oh, I mean, that's my second sport. But my oh. wife's over here like, you fat ass. Don't. <laughs> there are some mountains. There are, there's a mountain right outside of Canton that he's climbed a few times. <laughs> it's, but yeah, that's a great point because I talked to this girl, Kirstie Ennis. I don't know if you guys have ever heard of Kirstie Ennis, but she's an amputee that got shot down in Afghanistan and she's climbed the highest mountain on all seven continents. And she Jeez. talks about layering all the time. I mean, if you can picture it as an amputee, we all love our military. Picture this 120 pound woman with one leg climbing the highest mountain on every continent. She's got to be caught. She's gotten frostbite. She's gotten it all right. She's went through it all. And she talks about all the time to me about how important her clothing and her engineering and her layering. And, and of course her team is, but that's a great point, Lars Gard, that you don't, you're not wearing at the bottom what you're wearing when you peek. Yep. Right. And that's a, that's a great I, way to look at it. You're not, you're not, you're not wearing early season as you are at the peak of the season per se, maybe. It's not peak, it's summit. So oh, dang it. I just got schooled. Is it summit when you actually do it, but that's yes. the peak up there, but yes. I don't summit it until I get there or you can still call it summit. Summit. I, I don't know. But when you reach your full potential, you've peaked, right? You don't summit. No, <laughs> you've peaked. See, I haven't, oh, I haven't peaked yet in my life. I, never peaked. I haven't peaked yet either. No, we're still in our prime. We're still trying. I was talking to Brad Arrington my wife's yesterday. over here shaking her head like. I was talking to Brad Arrington yesterday, and I'm like, is Axel still got it? You know, he's getting ready to be six. And he's told me that dogs, that the, that the new age of dog years, or whatever this means, um, that that dogs are more apt to be Christian. You know this better than I do that an eight year old or nine year old dog is what's getting their grand passes now. And that's when a dog's peaking. Is this true in your opinion? I mean, I, I haven't been in that game in a, in a long time, but I, yes, that, that those dogs, those older dogs, I guess it's everything's better. I mean, it's just like the, the lifespan of humans is increased. I mean, dogs are healthier, their food's better, their care's better. So I'm sure that. The, 45 is a new 20. Oh, oh, 50. <laughs> the 50s the new 20 yeah, that's well then 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 tell me why i was in vegas the night before last and got invited to a vip bottle service table and i was <laughs> sleeping by 10 45 <laughs> you're smarter we gotta become we get more intelligent they're like we're gonna we're gonna meet outside the door at 11 and we're all gonna go in there they're gonna ask courtesy and i remember those days and i'm like i'm not going I'm going, yeah. I'm going to be in bed. I don't need to be a tub thumping at one o'clock in the morning in Vegas anymore. It's like a, maybe I am smarter. Maybe I did make a better, or I was just really well, dumb. You still make those decisions like Tony did today, making the wrong decision about going and walking a mile. I bet he doesn't go do that tomorrow. Well, way to bring it full circle, Eric Larsgaard. That's a great way to end the conversation is that Tony, I hopefully he had an uninsulated waiter on Eric. I don't know. Honestly, I don't know what he had on. For, wait, he's probably wearing knowing him. He probably went out there wearing his dudes and uh, hey dudes and stuff like that out there. That's why he's wearing Scout the other day. No, I think he had his uninsulated waders on, but he forgot his jacket. So he got out, out there, burned up all the way out there, but he forgot his jacket. So and he froze to death out there. He was he texted me in the morning. It's cold, and I said, "Well, I just opened the windows here because it was so darn hot in the house." So 
but yeah, again, it's the, it's the bandit hour with Eric Larsgaard and Christian Curtis. I love, I love the transparency. I love where the conversation goes. Um, Cause I think it's all about the consumer and giving him or her the idea or the information or education they need to make the right decisions. And I think you guys both did a heck of a job today doing that. We kind of transitioned into, um, you know, other things that the company is involved in that I want to get into in future episodes right here at the bandit area of ASD and the sporting dog and what you're doing there and greenhead gear. And do these decoys really kill more ducks or is it about the time and the energy um, that you're going to put into your hunt? Do you really need eight dozen decoys to be successful, Christian? What are the applications in duck hunting on water that you need that many decoys? Uh, I want to get into these questions because you guys have such a, a, a diverse look at it because of your experience. Both of you hunt. Christian, you hunt ducks more than Eric does per se, but Eric can bring us right into the deer woods. And we got that coming with Bandit in the future from what the rumors, the rumor mill is telling me. So there's a lot of information that I think that the consumer deserves to have. And that's exactly what we're doing here at the Bandit Hour. I don't know what you guys are hearing, but people love to love what you guys are saying about the product to learn about it. And I think that a lot of it has to do with where the roots are and the culture of it, of what you two have experienced and that you are. 100% so hands-on with not just the business, but with the birth of each of these products. And I think that that is huge for a consumer that they can have firsthand access to you guys. Cause I'm going to put your phone numbers in the descriptions of this podcast this week. So be ready for that. But that's a joke. But the consumer has firsthand access to Christian Curtis and Eric Larsgaard who are designing this product, not, selling it what you do with with your with your education on it but you're designing it you're birthing it you're nurturing it i want to get into a lot of that of what you guys are going through because i think that that is unbelievable that those products that are being worn right now in all of these different areas of duck and goose hunting and just the continental united states today this morning which right now it's 12 10 where you two sit 10 10 a.m where i sit the products that you guys visualized envisioned birth designed engineered put together talk to the seamstresses talk to the laminators talk to the the welder you guys did it all that's a pretty badass thing that viewers and and listeners can get the knowledge that they're looking for from the people that are designing it i don't know if that happens a lot i don't know if it does i'm not going to say it doesn't i don't know if there's a lot of this going on to where the designers are a telltale Every week. I think it's awesome. So thank you both very much. Do you agree that it's, or is it being done a lot, Christian? I, I don't think so. I, I really don't. I don't know. Eric, do you know? No, I don't think so either. Eric, Eric doesn't know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Eric's All just right. trying to get off the thing so he can go drill a hole in the ice. And- <laughs> <laughs> so, so Eric, with your with your with your uh, comment about Kansas on Sunday, does this take you out of the ball game for a, a bandit hour next week? Are you gonna Are you gonna be listening? Are you gonna be listening for branches the, um, to break? It'll be it, it'll be good. We just gotta <laughs> put on the calendar. We'll be we'll be good. Depends on now. The bucks are running by, and I gotta be out of the woods by eleven. I'll just text you. Okay. I like the, I like the idea. I like that idea. Yeah, we'll line something up for sure. My brothers and their, uh, our attorney killed a huge mule deer on Friday. Really? Let me Where? see if you guys can see it. Nevada. Limited draw. Well, it's a public land draw of, yep. um, of his first choice. He drew it, which is where my dad, he 
killed it like right where my dad died really yeah. not to bring up bad things but we've been hunting here our whole lives and killed um, it or the lawyer no the lawyer did but clinton clay took him and you guys know alex crosby it was alex crosby's mm -hmm. brother oh okay was, look, look at this deer real quick hopefully you can see it good here yeah big deer out there Look at this deer, and I'm going to let you both. I don't know how versed you are in judging mule deer like you are in whitetail, but this is. Sorry to see you got tip it forward. There we go. Well, I'm nice. moving it the wrong way. Is that? Can you see that? Yeah, he's oh, heavy God. too. Yeah, Ali. Look at that bucket. Mm-hmm. Any guess? Hmm. It's hard to tell on that. No, I, would, I, would, I would say, look at, judge them from what I can see there on it. I'm, I'm guessing it's in the two, 210. Nope. Christian Wait, almost, four? Christian almost nailed it. What do you say? I thought you, I thought you said he's 190. Did no, you not I say that, Christian? I said 200. Oh, he's 193. So you guys aren't too far off, but that's yeah. a heck of a mule deer. Um, that's uh, nice. bigger than that, even. He does, yeah, and he's oh, heavy. Yeah. I guess I guessed him bigger too. I was wrong though, and it's hard to tell on that picture through the screen. But no, through yeah. the screen here. But he's heavy. He's heavy. He's got he's that perfect look. Well, yeah, he's got that bucket. Deer. Yeah, that's exactly what I said, man. You can't get a prettier deer. That's the Bandit Hour. Eric Larsgar, Christian Curtis. We're going to be back more. I'm going to come up. I'm going to come up with a uh, trivia for the next one. I want to do some some uh, some trivia with Eric and Christian. They're not even going to know the topic of it, but we're going to see how well versed these two individuals are when it comes to everyday current event type situations and what we call pop culture in the United States of America. Christian's got daughters that cheerleaded in college. Eric's got kids that are coming up. They're probably paying attention to what's going on. There was a comment made earlier about how. Uh, I was talking to Mr. Terry Denman on the phone this morning and he says, Chad, the real problem is, is that kids just aren't growing up in the country enough anymore and that they're in these concrete jungles and they're on these pads all the time. He says, I don't know where, where, where it's going to lead. He says, when I went to Mexico, there's no locals that hunt there. He goes, when you go to Canada, there's very few locals that hunt ducks and geese in Canada. He says, is this going to happen in America? Because of our inability to get people to the country and seeing it. I don't know how you two individuals feel about that, but there is something to be said that there's so much uh, instant gratification and so much information coming into these kids and these younger people's brains. Is it the same as it was? Obviously it's not when we grew up, but are we going to be able to have a future of the outdoors? Is that a fair question or is it obvious that we are, or do you guys worry about it? Think about that for the next episode we might do a little trivia combined with that but with the way you guys raised your kids the way you continue to raise your kids do you see a shift away from the duck blind for the concrete jungle and if so does it worry you eric larsgar christian curtis the banded hour we'll be back with another episode this episode again brought to you by banded brands the family of banded brands check them out at banded.com averyoutdoors.com the Greenhead Gear line of decoys, the Avery Sporting Dog line of everything you need for your duck dog, your hunting dog, from soft-sided kennels to platforms, you name it, it's there. The bumpers, the Hexa bumper, the ATB. Check it out online right now or at your nearest retailer. Chad Belding, Christian Kirk, Eric Larsgard, Christian Curtis, Eric Larsgard. It's been another awesome episode of the Bandit Hour. We'll see you all back here next week.
sweet, till we 